Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I laced up my hiking boots, ready for another adventure in Yosemite National Park. As an avid hiker from Arizona, I couldn't resist the allure of the park's breathtaking landscapes. Joining me was my friend from Texas, equally enthusiastic about exploring the beauty of nature. We embarked on a secure trail, basking in the tranquility of the surroundings. The crisp mountain air rejuvenated our spirits as we engaged in lively conversation, exchanging stories and admiring the scenery. 
Along the way, we encountered fellow hikers and campers forming brief connections with like-minded adventurers. As we continued along the path, absorbed in our friendly banter, a peculiar sound broke through the calm. It was akin to a coyote's howl, but with an unnerving thickness that sent a shiver down my spine. Curiosity got the better of us, and we decided to investigate the source of the sound, straying from the familiar trail. Venturing deeper into the woods, the air grew dense with mystery. The sunlight struggled to penetrate the thick canopy above, casting an eerie glow on our surroundings. The sense of being lost in the heart of Yosemite heightened our senses, making us acutely aware of every rustle and hushed whisper of the forest. Then my eyes widened with disbelief as I caught a glimpse of movement amidst the shadows. It stood tall, towering at about eight feet, its body adorned in a dark gray hue with hints of brown. Its appearance was both majestic and unsettling. A shaggy mane reminiscent of a male lion encircled its head while the hair on its body and legs was shorter and more coarse. To my astonishment, it moved with an unnatural grace, walking upright on its back legs. A mix of awe and curiosity consumed us as we cautiously approached the enigmatic creature. Determined to capture evidence of this astonishing encounter, we reached for our cameras. However, the creature sensed our presence and, with a sudden burst of speed, disappeared into the depths of the forest, leaving us in awe and disappointment. Pulling up the photo on the camera's screen, our hopes were dashed as we were met with a blurry image. The creature's form eluded our capture, leaving only a vague impression of its magnificence. Yet despite the blurred evidence, our hearts were filled with the thrill of witnessing something truly extraordinary. With a tinge of regret, we retraced our steps and found our way back to the secure trail. The disappointment of the missed opportunity lingered, but the memories of that encounter, however fleeting, would forever be etched in our minds. As we emerged from the woods, the familiar sights and sounds of the park greeted us, providing solace and a sense of familiarity. Yosemite, with its grandeur and mysteries, had shown us a glimpse of the unknown, reminding us that the natural world still held secrets that could captivate and challenge our understanding. With a renewed appreciation for the wonders of nature, we continued our hike, cherishing the journey, the stories we shared, and the boundless possibilities that lie ahead in our adventures in the wilderness. I was with a group touring the Redwoods in California. The path split, one stayed at floor level, the other cut up onto a mountain and brought you about halfway up the trees. The tour was full of older people, so they all stayed on the floor level, but I absolutely had to go. I'm up on the mountain path by myself, just soaking in the gorgeous scenery, listening to chipmunk squirrels jumping and climbing trees, birds chirping, smelling that earthy air, admiring how high I was, how tall the trees still towered above me, and focusing on getting good shots with my camera. Suddenly I froze. Something wasn't right. I realized it was completely silent around me. The only thing I could hear was my own breath and the sound of my heartbeat. In my ears, the sound that a predator was in the vicinity. I looked down, but I was too high to see the lower trail. There really wasn't anything I could do. 
I stowed my camera in my bag and quickly, without running so as to enable a chase, continued down the trail. Sounds I could hear in the distance silenced as I drew nearer. I was terrified. I always knew hiking alone leads to the possibility of animal mauling. I'm a realist, but in that moment I just wasn't ready to die. Suddenly, birds started immediately singing around me, and I could hear kids laughing and parents yelling at them to slow down. I turned and saw three young boys running up the rocks. I think their sudden loud presence startled whatever it was that was nearby, most likely some sort of mountain cat. I have never felt a greater sense of relief rush over me in my entire life, including the almost car accidents I avoided. I remember rejoining the group, blood still pumping from adrenaline. I remember snippets of the gift shop. The other people all asked me how the view was and if I saw anything good. I remember saying the view was great and lots of little wildlife, but inside I was still a mess. I didn't want to say what had happened. The rest of that tour is a blur. I just couldn't focus. I remember everything I saw before that, but only random bits and pieces of after. Weird how something like that affects you. Now let me tell you about my next story. This one's nowhere near as hair-raising as the other one, but hey, here it goes. This one is from many years ago, from when I was a pre-teen, early teens. I was fishing with my dad and brother in dad's bass boat on a lake in Kentucky. We were night fishing for largemouth and had a decent night so far. Well, I get the usual tap-tap. So I set the hook hard, and though I was hung up, so Dad takes the rod to see if he can get it loose when it starts moving. He hands the rod back, thinking I've got a large cat, or maybe a possible lake record bass. So here I am in a stalemate with something big on the other end. I would gain a little line. It would strip it back off. This goes on for about ten minutes, although for me it seemed like an eternity. When I finally get the edge and whatever it is is coming up, I get it to the surface and Dad yells out, Cut the line now! I ask him why and refused when made out what it was he had swore I had hooked a body, when in turn it was very large snapping turtle. The turtle bit my jig and I had managed to set the hook in the turtle's fleshy part of the mouth. One night, when we were out camping in Alabama, we saw an aircraft hanging over us. We weren't all that far from Montgomery, so we figured it was just a helicopter or something. The only problem was, it didn't make any noise. There was no alcohol or drugs involved during our trip, so everyone was sober. My cousin got the idea to call his dad, who worked for the Air Force. My uncle was up in the control tower checking radars, and he said there was a blip, but there was no flight information about it. The aircraft slowly started to move over us, and we still heard no noise. There was only a breezy downdraft from it. My uncle called us back and said they were launching two fighter jets to check it out. By this time, the strange aircraft moved away, and we could just barely see the lights through the trees. Maybe three minutes later, the jets flew over a couple of times. When we got home, my uncle said that he never saw anything out there, and the ship disappeared from their radars by the time the jets were in flight.
driving home from dinner with my ex-wife. We took an off-road path on accident because I made a wrong turn. Figured I'd keep going because we were heading east and that was our destination, Ampway. Creepy dark road with some cornfields on the sides. Suddenly my ex-wife says, What's that? Me. What? Her. They're up ahead on the side of the road. Is that a person? Now I have perfectly fine eyes, and so did she, but I didn't see a damn thing. Me. I don't see anything. At this point, she turns to me, looking angry, and says, Stop messing with me. Look at me. Irritated. I don't see a thing. She looked at me, confused and horrified, like I've never seen her before, and then looks back at the figure and says, WTF, it's a man with a briefcase and a hat. Now I got a bit worried, since the look on her face was way too genuine and spooked to be a stupid prank. So we get closer, and I still don't see a thing, and she turned quiet as her head started turning as we came up to this man I did not see. So I stick my neck out and turned on and off the bigger lights in the car to see what the hell she was seeing. Nothing. I see absolutely nothing but corn and a road. So we pass by this man. She turns white and starts whimpering. And she basically begs me, Please tell me you saw that. I'm freaking out. Please, please. Again, I tell her, Calm down. I really didn't see anything. What is wrong with you? I then peek next to her to view my mirror, and I don't know how or why or whatever, but there he was. For just half a second, I saw a man standing at the side of the road, all in black and a hat on. I couldn't see the briefcase, but I am 100% sure I saw him standing there looking at me through the mirror as he went out of the mirror's reflection. So I froze for a second and then quickly looked out the back window. Nothing. My ex-wife knew I saw it, too. OMG, you just saw it, too. I told you I saw it. Please drive go-go. We went home, and I haven't stopped thinking about that day ever. I'm not religious, and I don't believe in the paranormal or superstitious stuff. But for the life of me, I cannot explain how my ex-wife saw this person for a good 20 seconds, and I did not until I passed by and saw his reflection in the mirror while he was illuminated from my taillights. We spoke about it when we got home and tried finding explanations. But really, we never understood why a man what looked like a black suit, a black hat, and a black briefcase was doing on a dark, lonely road like that in three degrees Celsius on a December night at 22.30. I was out backpacking with a couple of friends in the Marble Mountains of California. We were out on this trail maybe 25 or 30 miles from the nearest road. We'd hiked up this lake on a saddle back of a mountain, had a small glacier snowpack waterfalling into the lake. Seriously beautiful country. So most nights I spent what little light I had reading Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, and we went out on day hikes for several days. So the last full day we were there... We were out on this trail in the countryside, and the freeze-dried meals finally caught up to me. I hoofed it off the trail, dig a hole at the foot of this giant pine tree, and put my back against the tree, too. Well, do my business. I'm facing the hillside, and about 50 feet above me up the hill is a rocky outcrop. As I'm there with my pants at my ankles, I'm watching this small black critter of some kind. 
or at least I thought it was a small black critter, kind of shuffled back and forth. I'm kind of dumbfounded by this thing. Its proportions are seemingly all messed up. Huge eyes and tiny, almost minuscule ears. And I can't see any feet. Suddenly the giant, jet-black, glossy eyes meet mine. And it stands up. I realized the proportions weren't messed up. I was only looking at what was whatever this thing's head was. It's incredibly thin and just as black, weasel-like, but at least five feet long. And standing motionless with its eyes locked on my own. It was only a few seconds, but it felt like an eternity staring into Stephen King's ship weasels. I was startled by the sound of ship hitting the ground at my feet. Yes, my own shit scared me. I looked back at the rocks and it was gone. I didn't even wipe. I yanked my pants up and sprinted back down to the trail white as a sheet. My buddies kept asking what was up, but I didn't want to sound like a lunatic. Eventually, I did tell them what I saw around the fire that night. My bud Luke said it may have been a fisher, some massive weasel-like thing. Todd thought he'd heard that a breeding pair of wolverines had been spotted in the area. I'm sure it was one of those things. But for that brief moment in time, Stephen King's shit weasels invaded my world. I never hiked so fast on the way out. Australia, deep desert, northwest Kimberley region. A week of four, wheeling around various and sundry interesting places. Sacred sites by invitation, desert oases and endless long red stretches of sand, spinifex and loneliness in between. Me and the guide decide after an afternoon of 42C and devil dust, it's time to set camp. We get ourselves into a little bush river, dry during our visit for the most part, but still a few pockets of water around. Decent swimming if you ignore the snakes. The stones have to be described. The Kimberley region is like one gigantic rusty piece of ancient scrap metal, with blue mineral rich in endlessly old stones and rock formations peeking through the iron-laden dust and sands. Around our dry riverbed, the most comfy flat spot, smooth and consistently sized pebbles have gathered, river and desert and sun formed into very comfortable round smooth stones. It's better than the dust and spinifex, so I dig a little depression, chuck my sleeping bag in it, lay down and proceed to watch the universe rise over Australia with my boots on. About an eternity of stars later... I'm in one of those desert sleep funks, half awake. It's pretty dark by now. No moon, and I can't really see well anyway. Dusty eyelashes kind of glued shut. I'm snoozing when suddenly, about a meter away from me, I hear a very loud talk, something very alien, and yeah, I'm wide awake. I look over, but I don't see anything. I cast a glance over to my mate, but he is fast asleep, snoring into the dust. I look back, and... Again, nothing. Thinking I must have just been lucid dreaming, I try to snuggle a bit deeper into the river stones, close my eyes, and try for some more of it. About a minute later, another huge talk. Super loud, and this time I'm up and on my feet. Still, there's nothing there. Just me and Sleeping Beauty in the big, wide desert. Okay, that was enough for me. I went and slept in the car, which is nasty in that region. So as I get up and get ready for breakfast, my guide comes over. 
already freshly pissed and ready for action, and tells me we were visited last night by the owners of this land, and they gave us me permission to stay here as long as we want, because they reckon you're a dancer. I swear, though, there was nothing there. I looked and looked. Well, we stayed, and I got into my second night into the holes in the river stone, a lot less freaked out about the tox, since it was just the owners giving us permission and all that. Again, though, I get through the night and about halfway through, wake up. I look over to the spot I reckon I'd heard the talk, just for grins, and this time there is a huge looming mass, darker than the spots in the night sky furthest from the stars, just a few meters away. I can make out no shape, no discernible figure, and by this time I have the idea in my head that I'm just dreaming again, so I try to sleep, and I do. About a few snores later, I wake up again and have another look. It was camels, also come to sleep on the comfy riverbed. So my friend's uncle owns a plot of land, ten plus acres, and everything beyond that is ocean. It's actually a pretty cool hike from forest to beach anyways. So he was taking his little cousin for a little camping trip off the land, meaning they made debris shelters and slept in them. Well, they would have. But about three hours after my friends goes to sleep, having put the cousin to bed, he hears the growl and rustling. He at the time wasn't quite sure what it was, so he grabs his headlamp or flashlight. Don't remember which in this little dinky point .22LR. I think is what he said it was. I am not a gun guy and walks up to the trail they used to get there. They were a little off trail in the bush, and here's this step and crunch of a stick, so of course he turns his light on. However, its battery is pretty low, so not very bright. However, it's bright enough to see these two glowing orbs of light about a foot off the ground. He immediately figured out it's a mountain lion and freezes as it walks closer to him. He decided to try to scare it off. Once it got to close, so tried to make noise to scare the lion by shouting and stomping. Well, that only made it angry, so he takes his twenty-two caliber and tries to shoot it into the dirt. It jams, of course, so he is struggling with it, and suddenly the lion just pushes past him dead sprint into the night. My friend had a O.S. moment as the lion ran in the same way as camp, so he books it down to his cousin, picks the kid up, throws him over his shoulder and runs a solid mile or so back to a barn where they spent the rest of the night. In the morning, they went back to get their gear. But my friend now brings something a little bigger, louder than a twenty-two caliber. Not sure what it is. But still he was scared, and he don't scare easy. Trust me. Thanks for reading all of this if any of you did. I tend to ramble, sorry. This wasn't total seclusion, but when I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout, and one of the merit badges, Wilderness Survival, required that you spend one night with one other person in a shelter you built. Me and another scout hiked out around ten miles from the base camp, and me and the other scout went off another mile and set up our shelter. Later in the day, the counselor came and checked on us to make sure our shelter was done and to drop off some food for us. He left, and me and the scout crawled into our shelter to sleep. That entire night was incredibly missed. 
me and the scout had incredibly surreal dreams and would often be drifting in and out of sleep. At one point, I woke up and looked out of the shelter, and I swear on my life, I saw some black figure outside of it staring right back at me. Even later, I went out to pee, and everything outside was completely silent, and it felt as if I was being watched. Nima Scout ended up leaving the shelter around five in the morning to get back at the camp, and we never told anyone outside of fellow scouts about it. So back like eight years ago or so, I was around the age of eight. Me and my family were on our way back from a family fishing trip in the springtime. For reference, we live in Canada, and the place we drove to was about two hours away from any kind of civilization. So we're driving down the road when we see this hooded figure walking along in the field. As we drive by, we notice he was wearing the grim reaper hood and he had the Sith, but you couldn't see his face. As we passed, he stopped and stared at us. Needless to say, we got heck out of there in a hurry. Once my mom and I were driving to Las Vegas from Santa Clarita. We were just passing Barstow and on the I-15. It was right about high noon and very hot. Not a cloud in the sky. She had a fancy Lexus at the time with a touchscreen console on the dash that could play DVDs while driving. I remember we were on a long stretch of road with a lot of space between cars on the highway. One minute we see nothing ahead of us and then all of a sudden... A woman was walking across the highway right in front of our vehicle. My mom swerved behind her and barely missed her. She pulled off to the shoulder and we look behind us and we see her go all the way across the highway, including westbound traffic. Then she turned around and walked all the way across again, each time nearly getting clipped by an unsuspecting and oncoming car like ourselves. At one point, a semi-truck almost hit her head on missing her by literally one step. Each step she took was a steady and confident step, looking ahead of her and never batting an eye to any oncoming traffic. She was barefoot, mind you, and walking on the boiling asphalt with zero sense of urgency. So my mom calls 911. We're directed to Highway Patrol. They say they've received numerous reports and they're headed out to it. My mom decided after hanging up to slowly reverse down the shoulder to get a better look and see if she's okay. Yes, I know. Stupid in more than one way. As we get to a spot behind her now, she's crossed the highway and is now in front of our vehicle. This part I will never forget. The woman slowly turns her head and looks at us and is now slowly but steadily walking towards our car. She was white as day in every way. White nightgown, pale, dry, wrinkled skin, white hair, and the palest bluish-gray eyes I've ever seen, and barefoot. Almost looked like a walking dead version of Rose Dawson from Titanic. I was in the passenger seat, which was on the shoulder. When my mom made eye contact, she froze. Absolutely shut down. I remember the woman walking so close to my door. I could see her eyes make contact with mine. It looked as if she was blind and lifeless, but could not just see me, but see into and through me like into my soul. I went cold immediately. She reached for my door handle, and I remember screaming at my mom to punch the gas, and without hesitation, she came to quick, and we peeled out of there. 
In the back window, I saw her watch it speed off and then continued across the road again. A mile down the highway, we called Highway Patrol to see what happened, and they didn't have a clue what we were talking about and said they got no reports of a woman crossing the highway. My mom to this day still doesn't remember the time between when we reversed to when we dipped out. I have no idea what happened that day, except for what I witnessed and experienced. When I was younger, we had this family friend named Joe. We called him Debonock. He was awesome, like one of those uncles who would spoil the shit out of you. He became sick one day and passed away when I was at school. I was in maybe grade five or six, so I didn't really know what was going on at the time. He was a diabetic, like my dad, but Joe's was worse. One of the last times I seen him was at my parents' place. I just got home from school. He was pale and seemed drowsy, silent. My dad told me he was sick and that he had something for me. It was a $5 bill. Before I got home and started to become aware of Joe's condition, my dad told me that he was seeing people that weren't there, like people that have already passed away, loved ones just standing around in the living room. Present, his condition grew dire. He couldn't leave his house or even get up to leave his bed, but his wife, Naomi, was taking good care of him. She had told us a story about a few nights before his death. They had a horrifying experience. She gets ready for bed and falls asleep next to her husband. She eventually wakes up to someone screaming her name. The bed is empty. Naomi realizes that the screaming is coming from the front door, and it's Joe's voice. He is shouting the words, Naomi, get the F out here and see this. She jumps out of the bed as fast as she could, and she races towards the front door. As she's halfway, she can hear a glass smash, followed by these loud, heavy footsteps stomping off and down the front steps. She approaches the door, and Joe is shaking with this shocked expression, pointing off into the darkness. Naomi sees this shadowy figure bolting fast into the field not too far from their house. She was chilled to the bone, but was able to bring her husband back inside. It was peculiar Joe was incapable of leaving his own bed, but was able to somehow, in the middle of the night, make it to the front porch with a glass of water for fresh air, where he was met by whatever that thing was. He never told anyone what he had seen. The scary thing is he passed away while standing in the same exact spot. I am a 41-year-old woman, but I remember vividly when I was four, my little brother and I shared a room with twin beds. I recall it well. His bed sheets were Star Wars, while mine were rainbow bright, just setting the stage a little. Our beds were parallel to each other, facing a long and tall closet that was somewhat shallow. The door to the bedroom was to the left of the closet. I was lying in bed playing with my strawberry shortcake doll when I heard the muffled whimper of my three-year-old brother on his bed to my right. Knee, being the protective mother hen that I was, without looking over to him, asked him what was wrong. He answered me with a soft sob. I remember putting down my doll and starting to walk over to him. As I was closing the gap between us, about halfway there, he points towards the closet. He hid his face and started to sob hysterically. 
I remember stopping and following his tiny pointing finger with my eyes. What I saw still gives me the chills to this day. In our closet was what I can only describe as an extremely tall void of darkness in the shape of a man. He was well over six feet tall and seemed to be wearing a trench coat of some kind that went past its knees. It had what looked like an old-times western head that was small but rounded. Mind you, there were no details, only the outline, but his face. Where the eyes and mouth would be, there were swirling colors of, well, like energy or heat waves or something. I honestly don't know how else to describe it. His mouth, or the colorful energy swirls where the mouth would be, was open wide as if he were screaming at us at the top of his lungs. Yet we heard no sound. Now thinking back, we had a shelf in the top of that closet, but he was standing through it. There was no possible other way, but this was not the scary one. On the floor next to this being's right knee, crouched down, was another creature. When I saw this creature, I released everything that was in my bladder. I just peed all over myself. I was terrified to the point of paralysis, yet I was standing, stuck frozen in terror, wet from urine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the middle of our bedroom, it looked like it was about to take off in a race. It was on all fours and looked like it was about to start running straight at me. It, too, was in the shape of a man, yet smaller and more animalistic. It was as if the taller man was holding it back, like he was walking a dog almost. My mother and father must have heard my brother's screams. I couldn't make a sound at that time. I remember them picking one of us up each to soothe our cries. You better believe once I could. My lungs let loose of the most horrific and blood-curdling scream. By that time, I was in full panic mode and unable to describe what we had witnessed. My father was holding me. I can still remember the smell of his gold leather jacket. It was the early 80s, and he was a biker. His back was facing the closet. I thought he was there to save me, but when I looked up over his shoulder, I could still see the tall man with the colorful eyes, a screaming mouth. I tried to show them. We tried to show them, but neither of our parents could see them. My dad slept in the room with us that night because we refused to sleep without him. A couple years later, in a whole other state away, that same man, minus the colorful eyes and mouth, terrorized me for a good couple of years. This time he was made of total darkness. 
He was always there, it seemed, standing in the corner of my room, watching me in bed or gliding down the hallway past my door, turning its head to look at me as it passed, peeking around my doorway, but as if it was laying on the ceiling, its head and hat poking around the top left-hand side of the door before slowly sliding back. I was honestly traumatized, to tell you the truth. I would have terrifying nightmares that I truly 100% believe this being caused. Night terrors is more like it. For example, one of those night terrors was of him. Or it's sticking a meat hook through my sister and hanging her on our bathroom door. I also dreamed of these little hooded beings coming out of a hole under a giant live oak in our backyard and catching cats to eat them. My childhood was terrifying, to say the least. Disclaimer. I was never allowed to watch anything but cartoons and things like Fraggle Rock, so I was not influenced in any way that I can recall. No one believed me but my brother. I know this seems weird and random, but I named the man Cottonhead. I'm not sure why, but every night I would cry and beg my dad not to put me to bed because Cottonhead would come. And every night he would tell me it's just a dream. I was intrigued when my buddies proposed the idea of spending part of our leave in a remote part of New England, exploring an alleged facility that did not exist on record. The story we had heard was that this place housed an individual with some kind of special intuition that was invaluable to the military and intelligence. The whole place was shrouded in secrecy, with only a small team of guards and caretakers for the lone occupant. We decided to dress up as hunters and pretend to be pursuing some game in the area just in case we got apprehended by the facility. We had already shot some game the day before in an away part of these woods to make our story more convincing. As the sun started to set, we carefully crept through the woods using binoculars to scout the area ahead. We caught a glimpse of a man outside, pacing around in an enclosed area. He came in and out of view for... Five times as the security fence blocked the rest of our view. The person who told us about the facility had warned us that the occupant was unstable and would often start screaming and yelling, requiring restraint. We were nervous but curious about what we might find inside. As we got closer to the facility, we could hear strange noises and see flickers of light coming from within. Our hearts were pounding as we approached the entrance but we were determined to see what was inside. We cautiously made our way through the facility, avoiding guards and security cameras as best we could. We soon found ourselves in a room where the individual was being kept. He looked thin and frail, and there was something strange about his eyes. Suddenly the man started to scream and thrash around, breaking free from his restraints. The guards rushed in to subdue him, but he was stronger than we expected. We knew we had to leave before we were caught. We quickly made our way back through the facility, dodging guards and security cameras as best we could. As we emerged from the woods, we realized that we had been in there for much longer than we had intended. We had to hurry to make it back to base before our leave was over. Despite the danger and uncertainty we faced, we felt like we had accomplished something by exploring the hidden facility. We had uncovered a secret that few others knew about, and we felt like we had made a real difference in our mission. Looking back on that experience, I realized that we had been lucky to make it out of there unscathed. 
It was a lesson that we would carry with us for the rest of our military careers. Before my current job, I had a series of odd jobs, one of which was as the night watchman at cemetery. The cemetery was very old and notoriously haunted, but both of my grandmother's aunt and grandfather are buried there, so that gave me a sense of ease. Part of my job was to lock the front gate, then to drive throughout the cemetery and notify all visitors that we were closing and that they had to start getting ready to leave. Then I'd let them all out through the gate when I was done. While driving along a section of graves, I noticed an older woman walking along the path very slowly back to me. She was in my sight for over 100 yards, so I pulled up in my car, got out, took my eyes off of her for a moment, and walked around the car. When I looked up, she was gone, vanished into thin air. I looked all over the area, and there was absolutely no one in sight. It was unbelievable. Later that night, when my wife came to visit and bring me dinner, I noticed her grab her hair and look around. I asked, what's wrong? She said nothing. It felt like my hair got caught in a branch, so I said, babe, look around the closest tree is 50 feet away. She insisted that she felt almost like a hand run its fingers through the top of her hair and pull on her ponytail. That's when I mentioned my experience about the old lady from earlier in the evening, and we both were stunned. That was when I told the cemetery I would finish out the week and wouldn't be coming back. The following happened in my home and involved both my sister and myself when we were very young. It was nighttime around nine, ten o'clock. We lived in upstate New York towards the mountains, so it was always very quiet and isolated. To lay out ground zero for you, picture a dead-end hallway 20 feet long with three rooms leading off from it, two smaller ones on the left, one large one on the right. My sister, who occupied the larger room, was just getting into bed. She had just called for my dad to come say good night when the air turned freakishly cold, the kind that stings at your eyes and makes you cough when you breathe it in the kind necessary for turning soap bubbles into glassy orbs in the dead of winter. I remember watching from my bed as. It emerged from the upper hallway, creeping horizontally on the wall. It was facing into my sister's room, its back to me slowly coming into her view as a ghostly white arm dragged it along the side of the wall as if gravity had shifted sideways in the specific area. I remember shouting for my sister, which alarmed her enough to shriek for my parents. Whatever it was heard me and twisted its head around nearly 180 degrees to stare into my soul. It had these huge, hollow, and bottomless black eyes and a mouth which was twisted into something akin to a carnival mask's creepy smile to match. If you've ever felt that something could kill you with but a stare, this was it. As soon as my father rushed the hallway, it vanished from sight. However, the presence did not. My parents camped out in our rooms for hours, yet the sinister cold held fast. I have seen innumerable paranormal events living up in the mountains on a seventh-generation farm, but nothing I've ever been through can compete with what happened that night. There were four witnesses in all, two kids who saw it and two adults who felt it. There was no precursor to its visit other than roughly three seconds of cold. No other warnings, no other signs. 
No random freaky glitches in the Matrix. Suddenly, it was just there. And in all honesty, that's the most terrifying aspect of it all. After it supposedly left, the cold cleared on its own. And though the thermometers gave normal readings, it must have taken hours to feel like room temperature again. I've always been told that I tend to sleep talk, but I never really believed it until my roommate complained about my constant chatter. Intrigued and a bit embarrassed, I decided to download an app to record my sleep talking, hoping to finally understand what I was saying during the night. I set up the app on my phone and placed it on my nightstand before going to bed. I must admit I was both curious and nervous about what I might hear the next morning. My sleep was restless, filled with strange dreams and a feeling of unease. When I woke up, I hesitated for a moment before reaching for my phone. The app showed several recordings from throughout the night. I played the first one, and there I was, mumbling incoherently about some nonsense. I chuckled to myself, relieved that it was just harmless gibberish. But then I played the next recording. To my surprise, I heard a deep male voice speaking from what sounded like the other end of the room. My heart raced, and a chill ran down my spine. The voice was unfamiliar and there was no way someone else could have been in my room. I live alone, and I always lock my doors and windows before going to bed. The voice in the recording was unnerving, speaking in a tone that sounded both menacing and oddly calm. I couldn't understand what the man was saying, but it felt like he was speaking directly at me, almost as if he was taunting me. I played the recording again and again, trying to figure out if there was some sort of logical explanation for it. But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't come up with a rational reason for the voice. There was no one else in my apartment, and the voice was definitely not mine. I'm Joe, a seasoned hunter and guide who has spent my entire life in the great outdoors of the Pacific Northwest. I've heard many tales of Wendigos, but never saw one myself, until that rainy day in November of 1995. I was camping with a few friends in a remote area near the Oregon-Washington border. We were sitting around the fire, trying to stay warm and dry, when we noticed a strange figure standing next to a tree. At first, we thought it was a dew, but as it got closer, we realized it was something else entirely. The creature was about six half feet tall, with giant antlers and muscular shoulders. It looked like a bipedal doe. Its head was not pointy like some of the stories we had heard, but more human, light. It didn't move at all, just stared at us curiously. Mark, one of my friends, got up and approached the creature. As he got closer, it turned and walked away slowly, disappearing into the dense forest. We were all stunned, not sure what to make of what we had just seen. Later that evening, we talked about it and tried to come up with an explanation. We knew that there were stories of Wendigos in the area, but seeing one in person was a different experience entirely. The next day, we heard about a man named Chet, who was known to leave food, out for the creatures in the area. We decided to pay him a visit and see if he had any insight into what we had seen. Chet was a Native American man who had lived in the area for most of his life. 
He told us about his encounters with Wendigo and how he believed they were peaceful creatures who just wanted to be left alone. After talking with Chet, we decided to do some investigating of our own. We spent several days in the area, looking for any signs of Wendigo. We didn't find anything conclusive, but we did hear strange noises and saw footprints that could have belonged to the creature we saw. To this day, I'm still not sure what we saw that day in November. My name is John, and I work for the local newspaper in Oregon City. I was intrigued when I received a strange phone call from a man named Tony C., claiming to have seen something unusual up in Apolkians. He spoke in hushed tones, as if afraid someone might be listening in on the conversation. Tony claimed that he and his friends had come across a family of creatures, and that they were unlike anything he had ever seen before. He didn't say the word Bigfoot, but the implication was clear. He offered to show me exactly where they were if I was interested. I tried calling Tony's number repeatedly, but there was no answer. Eventually, I decided to pass the information along to Peter Byrne, a renowned Bigfoot researcher. However, even he had no luck getting in touch with Tony. Days turned into weeks, and I had all but given up hope of ever learning more about Tony's encounter. But then, one day, I received a call from a man named Steve Williams. Steve had spoken with Tony, and he was able to provide me with more details about the incident. It had occurred during bow hunting season in September of 1995. Tony and his friends had been biking in the Wallys area when they came across a terrible smell, like something dead. Suddenly, a 10-12 foot tall dark creature ran past them, making so much noise that Tony thought there must be several more of them nearby. He hadn't taken a shot at the creature itself, but at a shadow that he thought might have been one of the creatures. At first, Tony's boss had laughed off the incident, but later suggested he report it. That's when Tony had called me. I was fascinated by Tony's story, especially since it involved a sighting in such close proximity to our town. I decided to dig deeper and eventually learned that there was a local Native American tribe in the area that had stories and legends about similar creatures. With this new information, I reached out to the tribe and was able to speak with an elder who had first-hand knowledge of these creatures. He confirmed that they were indeed a part of their traditional stories, and that sightings had been reported by members of the tribe for many years. I knew that Tony's encounter might be met with skepticism by some, but I felt that it was important to share his story with our community. Who knows what else might be out there, waiting to be discovered. When I was younger, I worked as a ranger in Georgia Park. Most of my nights were spent instructing people not to leave out offerings for bears and other animals, but every now and again, I got a call about rowdy teens or even rowdier adults. It was thankless work, but dealing with the public often was. One night, I was leaning back in my chair listening to a podcast in a last-ditch effort to stay awake. The phone rang. Normally, I relished the action. The night shift was miserable without it, but it was 30 degrees out tonight. I had no registered campers. The last thing I wanted to do was leave the central heating of my post to go and hunt down a group of kids that ran off to make out in the woods. Frustrated long before I had the chance to say hello, I brought the phone to my ear, waiting for somebody to say something. 
However, no matter how I called to the other person, there was only heavy breathing in response. Nothing like a good old-fashioned prank call to make the hate of youth just a bit more than I already did. I hung up, resuming my podcast content to doze off until morning. The prank caller had other plans. They called four times, only ever breathing heavier into the receiver. By the fifth call, my patience was now at its end. I answered with a sharp what, only to have it steamrolled by crying and begging, a muddled voice and very indecipherable. I don't remember how long I spent trying to calm her down before she finally choked something out. By the river, please help. The line went dead, because why wouldn't it have? And then nobody else called. All efforts to call her back were met with a telltale ring of a busy phone line. But by the river was too vague. The river stretched through most of the park. It would take hours to comb the area on my own. But when I realized it was my line that was cut, I had no other choice. I grabbed my shotgun off the wall, hoping almost desperately that it was a bear taking a break from hibernation to hassle a woman for her peanut butter sandwich and not another psychopath. Hello? Is anybody out there? I stood on the doorstep with my ear to the wind, hoping to get some kind of clue for what direction to head off into. I was met with silence. I heaved a sigh of defeat and chose a direction at random. When I found her, I swore I'd give her a good old piece of my mind. And not only was it freezing, but the trails were pretty clear about getting near the river. They were endless, deadly combinations lurking within their depths, and some said the dagger did not solely lie beneath the water. Some said that the gray woman walked along the banks, crying out for help in an effort to lead compassionate bystanders into the water. A story I didn't necessarily believe. It was entertaining, nevertheless. The stories my co-workers came up with never ceased to tickle me. I was about 30 minutes away from the ranger station when I stepped on something squelching beneath my boots. It was hard to make out in the darkness, but as I knelt down before the mass, I realized exactly what I was dealing with. Someone's wet clothes sat in a heap, discarded in a hurry in an effort to warm up after falling in and the ice was rarely thick enough to bounce an acorn off, let alone pretend to be capable of holding a human's weight. So I can only wonder how anybody could have gotten so soaked. Even if they'd slid down the bank, there was no way they'd been submerged the way these garments suggested that they had been. I'd been about to start searching for blood trails when a voice came from the other trees. It was nothing more than a hiss, but it sent my heart into overdrive. Either way, my first instinct was to haul it back where I came from, to leave the whispers behind once and for all, with the shotgun in my hand was more than capable of turning a human into Swiss cheese. So I pushed forward. I called into the trees, demanding that the person hiding amongst the leafless branches come out with their hands up. When nothing happened, I called again, this time warning them that I'd shoot if they did not say something. Stop screaming. She'll hear the voice from the trees didn't seem to understand the concept of packing heat. I could only wonder if she was in the throes of a psychotic break, and there was nothing else out there after all. Yet she was huddled amongst the vegetation, whimpering about some mysterious she. I was moments from threatening her with the cops when I heard the same voice from over the phone. It was just as hysterical as it had been just as watery and hard to understand as it had been over the phone. 
If not for the icy hand on my wrist, I'd have followed the voice of the person I'd originally gone searching for. It was my job to help those in need on the trail, and I had no reason to hesitate. But the woman's hold was unbreakable in that moment, and her hissed warning to stay still made me think twice. I tried to help her. The woman told me her face was a breath away from my own, but she was as cold as the rocks along the river's edge. The heat that radiated from living beings was completely missing in her. But my attention went elsewhere as the voice called for help again. And if you don't want to end up like me, you'll go back the way you came. I have no idea what to account for. I can only assume this was the poltergeist of a woman who had passed. Three months ago, my wife and I decided to take a drive up Mary's Peak Road in Oregon. We were excited to explore the highest mountain in the state's coast range, towering at 4,097 feet. The weather was crisp and cool, with plenty of snow still covering the peak in mid-April. As we were coming down the mountain around 4.30 p.m., we spotted a beautiful waterfall surrounded by wildflowers. The sight was too enchanting to pass up, so we decided to stop and take in the view. I remember stepping out of the car, the chilly air nipping at my exposed skin and feeling a sudden, inexplicable sensation. It was as if the hair on my neck stood on end, and for a moment time itself seemed to freeze. Just then, I heard a faint tink-tink on the ground, followed by a flash past the car window. Startled, I looked down and saw an old, rusty, dented, blue two-pound coffee can lying near us. It looked like it was from a brand I recognized, maybe Maxwell. If I had been standing outside at that moment, it would have hit me. The sudden impact and the strangeness of the object made my heart race with fear. Panicked, my wife and I immediately got back in the car and prepared to leave. As I glanced back towards the road, I caught a glimpse of a tall, blurry, reddish-brown figure standing about 200 feet away, just beyond the guardrail. My mind raced, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. Was it just a tree, or could it have been something more? I've always been fascinated by the stories of Bigfoot, and have read extensively about the elusive creature. Although I couldn't be sure, the figure I saw that day bore a striking resemblance to the descriptions I've come across in my research. I've heard accounts of Bigfoot throwing objects to scare away intruders, and the coffee can seem to fit the bill. I couldn't help but wonder if we had unintentionally stumbled upon its territory. We didn't stick around long enough to find out. The fear and uncertainty that gripped us in that moment were enough to send us on our way leaving the mysterious figure and the unexplained coffee, can behind. To this day, I can't say for certain what we encountered on Mary's Peak Road, but a part of me hopes that it was indeed a Bigfoot, reminding us that some things in this world are still left to be discovered. I had always been drawn to the quiet beauty of the hills near Silverton. As a park ranger, I was fortunate to spend my days surrounded by nature's splendor. I thought I knew the landscape like the back of my hand. But one incident would change my perspective forever. It started with a phone call from a distressed woman named Linda. 
She told me that her mother and sister had encountered something strange and terrifying near their home in the hills. She described it as a troll, a short, hairy creature that marched back and forth in front of their house. Her family was so frightened that they had fled to a motel for the night. Intrigued and concerned, I decided to investigate. I drove out to their house, nestled in the heart of the hills, and began my search. As I approached the property, a sense of unease washed over me. The air seemed heavy, as if the very atmosphere was warning me to turn back. I pressed on, stepping out of my vehicle and scanning the area for any signs of the mysterious creature. The ground was covered in a thick layer of leaves, which made it difficult to discern any tracks or traces. As I walked around the house, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. Suddenly, I heard a rustling sound coming from a nearby thicket. Heart pounding, I approached cautiously, my hand resting on the pepper spray attached to my belt. As I pulled back the branches, I was met with the sight of the creature. Linda's family described. It was short, no more than four feet tall and covered in coarse matted hair. It stared at me with beady eyes that seemed to pierce my very soul. Then, without warning, it began to march back and forth, just as Linda's mother and sister had recounted. I stood there, frozen in shock and disbelief, as the creature continued its bizarre display. It seemed uninterested in me, focused solely on its repetitive pacing. I knew I had to do something, but what could a park ranger like? me do against such an unknown being? Gathering my courage, I shouted at the creature, hoping to scare it away. To my surprise, it stopped and looked at me, its eyes narrowing with curiosity. I took a step forward, my voice firm but shaky. You need to leave this place. You're scaring the people who live here. The creature tilted its head as if considering my words, and then, without a sound, it turned and disappeared into the forest. I stood there for a moment, processing what had just happened, before hurrying back to my vehicle. This is a nest sighting, not an actual creature sighting. I was a member of an archaeology survey crew, and we had hiked in along an old, overgrown logging RR grade on the side of Pelican Book. This grade took off from an old closed logging road. We were approximately one mile from the end of the closed road when we found a very large nest on the ground, which measured about seven feet in diameter. It was constructed of pine needles and small twigs. The nest material was about eight, twelve feet in height. It was about 150 meters, yards, uphill from the old grade that we were following. The only reason we found it at all was because a crew member saw a spotted owl in a tree up the hill, and we went up to get a closer look. The owl flew up the hill a bit farther, and we followed, trying to catch a good glimpse of the owl, as most of us had never seen one in the wild. That's when we noticed the huge nest on the ground. Was the owl leading us there? All six crew members felt it was a Bigfoot nest. We reported it to the wildlife biologist back at the office, and he said there are some large birds that make nests on the ground, which can be up to three feet in diameter, such as cranes, but he's never heard of one that large. Also, cranes nest in meadows near water, not on the side of a mountain, several miles from water. When we suggested a Bigfoot nest, he just shrugged and said maybe, 
This was a very remote location and hadn't been logged in years, probably since the 1950s. We also discovered a very old logging camp archaeology site dating from the early 1900s which had old glass bottles still intact, which was evidence that no one had been there in a very long time, as most other old sites which were in more accessible places had been looted for the glass bottles. Point being, this was an area where no one goes, so if this were a hoax, it's a terrible place to do it, as chances are no one is going to see it. Unfortunately, no one took a photo.